Hello and welcome to the Tantric Lounge. Here I am with my co-host Xavier Watercane. Hello, Xavier. Good morning, you. Good morning, world. <laughs> yes. no, wake, sorry, up, wake up, wake up. It's wakey, time. Wakey, We're doing wakey, a radio show. Wakey, please, wakey, please. Yes, Thank yes. you. Focus, focus. That, that, that 70s porno music that we have as an intro really doesn't do enough <laughs> to wake me up. We might have to change it next season. Something a bit more upbeat, yeah. yeah something like, maybe yes. we just play the same tune twice as fast. Oh, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Let's, yeah. uh, let's, <laughs> ask, <laughs> let's ask Voice America. They can, they can speed it up. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> It's the Tantric Lounge. Rah, rah, rah. Yes. Yeah, oh, now I'm up. <laughs> yes, so everybody, we're up in the Tantric Lounge. Today we're going to be talking to not one but two sex geeks. We have got two guests today who are um, experts in sexological bodywork and the whole concept of embodiment. So we're going to be having some really exciting and stimulating conversation today, I think. Yes, Deej Juventin and Uma Furman will be on later. Not all that much further in the well, future. Very soon. But very soon. Imminently, yes. almost. Imminent. Imminent. But, but in the, let's go through our usual ritual. Tell me, Jacqueline. <laughs> yes, Xavier. What's new in Jacqueline Hellierland? Yes. Well, have you noticed? Oh, I have. Yes. I have. You can't see this because this is a radio, yeah. so we have to describe it. Yes, it's auditory. Um, Jacqueline uh, was given a beautiful group of flowers. Mm. Those tulips that a few centuries ago the Dutch would have paid an absolute house a for. million dollars. million for. And some gorgeous orchid arrangement. I just looked at this and I thought, oh, I'd love to paint that. It's the sort of thing that would make a beautiful still life. Tell us the story of why you got those flowers, Jacqueline. Oh, look, it's just so sweet. I have to share it with the world. Um, some clients of mine were celebrating their 27th wedding anniversary yesterday and they said they wouldn't be able to do that. They wouldn't have been able to do it without my help. So do it. Celebrate twenty seven years. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know the what marriage, the marriage. I didn't know what the, the marriage end was. would not have lasted. I'm they sh- would not have got to twenty seven years without me. I'm sure you so helped them with some, it as well. Yes, I did. Um, so they sent me some flowers on their twenty seventh wedding. Anniversary. Did that warm the cockles of your heart? It did. I it warmed so touched. It warmed mine. I felt my cockles warm. <laughs> did you really? Yes, yes when you they told were, me that story. Well, you know, orchids and all that, they have rather sexual flowers. That's right. And speaking of other things that mm. might warm the cockles of your heart, yes. um, your website is now up and running in a new version. Yes, it's been reskinned. It's been reskinned, which means for those who are not technically minded that it looks different. <laughs> yes, it looks different. It's prettier. It's prettier. It's it also more functional. Well, it will be. I've still got a few little technical things to sort out. So. And one don't, of those don't go rushing there just yet. One of those things that we'll be sorting out soon will be that you'll be able to download all of these podcasts directly. Oh, no, you can do that so, already. Well, yeah, I know, but it's a, it's, we've cleaned that process up a bit. And also we've done a lot of work on Jacqueline's back end. Yes. And so that means My back that end has been completely dealt with. Which means that the front end is now better. And my button is nearly ready to be pushed. What about mine? Well, I don't know. Do we each need a button? I want, a, just I want a button. button. I want a button. I'd like to share the button with you, Xavier. All right. I don't know whether I want to share buttons. Anyway, so that that donate to mm. the Tantric Lounge to keep us independent button, which is the button that we've been referring to in several yes. podcasts recently, will be the one that we press or the ones that you'll be pressing, you'll hopefully, be pressing. hopefully in order to donate money through PayPal yes. to our worthy, worthy cause yes. and keeping sex education and enlightenment and spirituality and love and beauty and gorgeousness mm. in Radioland, in our version of it, yes. continuing. 
Yes. That was a long sentence. Let's get on to... Can, can I just do one more little plug before yes, we meet? Yes, 30 Nights of Nookie. We, before we meet our wonderful guest today. Uh, yes, so the 30 Nights of Nookie program starts officially on the 1st of September. Yes. Um, so if you sign up every day, you get um, some a little Nookie idea to do that evening. And the idea is to see what effect being intimate every single night for 30 nights will have on your relationship. Or at least maybe being mindful of the intimacy that you could have. Well, there's something that you do every single day. Yes, That's for those who about. need something to do. Yeah. Which is perfectly reasonable. Yes, and it's all free and I designed the program and some lovely wealthy um, companies are sponsoring it, paying for it, Durex and Women's Men's Health magazines. Uh, You don't have to start on the first. It's going to be live until the end of the year. So You can do your 30 nights at any point within the next three months starting from September 1. Four. 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 Okay. Yes. All right. That's quite exciting. Have we plugged enough? We've plugged enough. Okay. And now let's plug into... DJ Uma. Ta-da. Hey, DJ Uma. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> What's we the weather like in sunny Queensland? <laughs> beautiful again today. Yeah. Yes, and I'm sure it will be perfect the next. I've so, heard, I've heard that. <laughs> yes. DJ Uma, I'm fascinated by your work. I like as in the same way that I'm fascinated by Jacqueline's work. I wonder why it even has to exist. <laughs> it just it just confuses me. Uh, tell us a little bit about the work that you do and what it is for those of us who don't know like me. Well, I, I guess the first part is it has to exist because... Well, what's the it? What do you call it? Quality sex education that focuses on how do we live more more fully and have better sex rather than the attempts at sex education that tend to focus on sexual health and sexually transmitted diseases. How do we actually access more pleasure? Mm. Uh, so you're really into the education of pleasure. Yes. I guess we are. In, in some ways, we are into the education of being in your body, of embodiment, not just mm-hmm. pleasure, but what can we actually feel in our bodies and how can we, can people in this, busy, modern, technologically um, full world spend a little bit of time out of their heads and actually <laughs> their feelings and what's happening in their body. And once we spend some time there, inevitably we also access some pleasure. A work that is called embodiment by definition implies such a condition as disembodiment. Mm-hmm. Right. So... Yeah. What is so? What is disembodiment, and what does it look like? I think a lot Ooh, of people are thinking. spending a lot, a lot of their time with their awareness focused outside their bodies. It's focused right. in in thoughts, in in TV, and video games, and texts, and social media. All sorts of places. Um, and all and, sorts of times too, you'd say, wouldn't you? Like they're either thinking about the future or thinking about the past. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. They're not present. Not, in, not now. Mm. You know, I have clients come to me and, and the simple fact of asking them to take a breath and, and feel for what they're experiencing in their body and they're like, some people say, oh, I've got a body. I haven't felt it. Oh, gosh, yes. There's something down there. Why is this such a revelation for so many people that they're living in a body that's full of sensual feelings and 
mm. pleasure, capacity to experience gorgeousness and all that. Why is that such a difficult thing for so many people? I think we forget. I think people, it feels like people forget children are very much in their bodies. Mm. And as we grow up, we are conditioned out of our bodies. We're conditioned to sit still when we're studying. Uh, we can sit, we're conditioned to uh, not make too much noise. Uh, not yes. Not to too much, not to laugh too loudly, to, to fit into the politeness uh, or the, the, the rules of society. And when we teach ourselves how to do that, the, the only way I know how to do that is to basically ignore what's happening in, the, in our bodies. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually ridiculous because in my work as a brain coach, I often tell people that you need to learn with your whole body. You can't, it's just, it can't just be a head trip. Well, we have brains throughout our body, don't yes, we? Yes, because we've, we had another uh, podcast a couple, well, was it a couple of seasons ago? It was. It was, it was where, we, where we were looking at the various brains that the body has. It's not just in, in the head. There's also a heart, heart brain. brain and a stomach brain, brain and a yeah. naughty bits brain. Possibly every neuron through the mm. nervous system. So, yeah, that's yes. a big part of what we're doing with sexological body work is, is engaging our bodies with awareness so that we can develop the nervous system. You know, mm. uh, <clears throat> so that's the uh, modality you two um, practice and teach, isn't it, sexological body work? Yep, which is a, yeah. a professional training for people who want to work as practitioners, teaching other people how to be more in their bodies and, ha- and to have better sex lives. Mm. So what are the elements of sexological body work? It's, it's a focus on um, using awareness, body-based mm-hmm. awareness. So we're, we're the, there are whole lots of different tools we use, but the primary ones we're working through is breath and movement and touch and sound and vibration and placement of awareness with mm-hmm. variety over time so that people can over time start to become more aware of their bodies. Yes. And in the process of doing that, we start to have openings. We start to experience sensations we haven't perhaps been aware of before or haven't experienced before. We start it, to... It sounds very sensual. It can be. It's not always. It can be. <laughs> oh, really? It can be very, it can be very sensual, uh, but it can also be very challenging because... Uh, so, so many people have a lot of shame that they carry around their sexuality, uh, have a lot of trauma that they carry around their sexuality or sensuality, um, have a lot of conditionings that, you know, good girls don't do that, men don't or, or, like this or, you know, so if many. It feels good, if it feels good, it can't possibly be right. Exactly. <laughs> So I'm always surprised at how many people these days still have that conditioning so strongly within them. So many. So, mm. so many. And yeah, I think it's yeah. because what we practice over time gets laid down in our nervous system. So we're hardwired. Ah. Yeah. I mean, I had a new client just yesterday. She's still in her 20s. She's 25. She's been married for a year, been with a partner for five years or something. And she has vaginismus. Like they can't actually have intercourse. What, um, but, what, for those who aren't technically minded, what is vaginismus? Yeah, it's when the um, the vagina muscles spasm so that they can't actually... So they clamp shut. They basically clamp shut so you can't actually... It's like a clam that decides anything. not to open. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay. But this is a 25-year-old woman and when I started talking about her sex life, she didn't like to be touched down there because she thought it was wrong. 
So mm-hmm. they're trying to have intercourse without preparation because to be touched down there was wrong. So yeah. that would be... Really and she didn't have any particular religious upbringing or anything. Somehow this is just... She had gone to an only girls' school or girls' school, but somehow it had osmosed into her that that was wrong. I think that Deja's point about <clears throat> the idea that we repeat these patterns so much to the point that they become virtually hardwired is really mm. interesting. Mm. And so to become embodied, to stop being disembodied, it, it's, it's almost, well... An unlearning. It's an, it's an unlearning, yes. We have to practice it. It's mm-hmm. one thing to say. So a lot of people, when they come to us, they, they have the realization to say, we know this is not. I, I know that all these old beliefs are not right. I don't believe them anymore. I believe I do deserve pleasure. I don't want to have shame in my body anymore. Yes. I, I want to access all these wonderful things, but I know that in my mind. But how do I do it? How do I actually get there? And this so is how, what I teach them. So how do people resensitize? If practice. that's what we're talking re-embody. about. Re-embody. Yeah, and re-embody. Yeah, practice, practice, practice. And so uh, this is, well, uh, sexological bodywork is a practice-based profession. So practitioners work with their students, either groups or individuals. We teach skills. We give them tools. We, are very, we do it in a very experiential way. And then the students go home and practice. It's just like going to the gym and getting fit. <laughs> you can go once and say, I've been to the gym, but that's not going to change anything in your body. You have mm. to go every day. And some people choose to have a trainer every day, and that's great. But a lot of people eventually develop their own practice that they do over and over and over time. And the, the thing is, if we want to create variety, if we want to change things in the body, we have to have lots of different tools that we can engage in and that that will help the nervous system develop and change the pathways between uh, of all these old deep-seated responses. So we're not necessarily um, ignoring what's in the body now. We're just expanding on the possibilities Mm. that are there. Creating new possibilities. Mm. Mm. So I was just interested, the way you describe that, you almost sound like sexological trainers, like a personal trainer, like you you refer to your clients as students and like they've got to regularly train and so forth. Is is it a bit like that? Are you like personal trainers? (laughs) It is. It's a big part of their path. And and I I just, when I speak to people who are not aware of this modality, it's it's, it's the best analogy I can find. Mm. To try to explain to people, okay, how are we going to get this change happening in your body? But it is a bit like being a, yeah, a, a sexological trainer. Because <laughs> <laughs> often when people think about body work, they think about massage basically or some kind of sort of energetic healing, or at least that's what I think of. Mm-hmm. But what you do is it's, it's much more than that. I mean, is there even any massage in it? I do very little I of that. I don't do all. that much either. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly something it's, that clients might choose if we feel it, it's going to support their learning and their development, and, but it doesn't, it's not a huge part of my no. practice. We use touch, but I'd mm-hmm. like to differentiate touch from massage. Massage for me is saying someone is lying there, not moving, just totally surrendering, and I'm doing something to them. Um, mm. But t- using touch in a conscious way, in an active way, uh, meaning uh, we're exploring what touch feels like in this person's body. And that's a joint process. This is not mm. one 
totally passive and the other one being active. It's it's completely joined and and it, and it's fascinating. Mm. So you're expecting your student, is that the language you use, student, yeah. client? Yeah. You're expecting the student to, to give you feedback on how they're experiencing the touch. And do it themselves as well. Yeah. You use their own hands on their body. Mm-hmm. So they could learn how to, so they learn those tools rather than come out of session and say, oh, that was great, but I don't know what happened or yeah. how to get there again. Right. Yes, of course. Yeah. Interesting. And what do people tend to find? What oh. do they experience? Actually, actually, we're really, really close to a break. Are we? Yes, we're, we're, the break is almost imminent. It comes upon <laughs> us so suddenly. Sometimes <laughs> they find that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Something comes upon them suddenly, doesn't yes. it? Yeah. I, I assume that that's how it happens in the body work as well. All of us, there's no progress for a while, and then all of a sudden, oh my God, I have a body that's full of sensuous feelings. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. oh. Body, little somatic epiphanies. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, I like that somatic epiphanies. We're going to find out more about the process and a little bit more about somatic de- epiphanies. Somatic epiphanies <laughs> and about Dijanuma after the break. Yes, join you again shortly. Yes, welcome back to the Tantric Lantern. We're talking to Deej Juventon and Uma Furman, who are sexological body workers, teaching us all about embodiment and how to get back into ourselves. Yes, and um, we've just finished the first section on somatic epiphanies. Yes, somatic epiphanies. Do people actually do have somatic epiphanies? Yeah, they all do. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> what do those look like? Which basically means embodied breakthroughs, you know. So what you were describing bef- be- before about sudden um, shifts in in perception and going, oh my god, I, I've just felt something I've never felt before. Yeah, and those sounds you made before—that's that's that's, that's what, yeah. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. I was I was just playing. I didn't I didn't know that I was channeling. Ah uh, yes, but you're already so somatically embodied. Which so, is a, yeah. which is again why I find this whole thing incredibly confusing. Why do these why do these things even exist? How can people get into a space where they are so disconnected from their bodies? My body is constantly talking to me and saying pain here, ache here, ooh, delight there. Oh, more of that. It's always talking to me and I don't actually think that there's a me and a body, there's just all of this sensation. Yeah. I think it's a combination between a couple of hundred years of focusing on rationality. Yes. Oh, you mean, you mean the enlightenment is at fault here? <laughs> well, well, I think, yeah, I think we're, we're experiencing an epistemic shift. We're, we're, we're moving away from a time where people are experiencing the mind and body as distinct from each other. Mm. Me and you is completely distinct from each other, and uh, uh, me and the planet is completely distinct from each other. I think that's partly why things are shifting. So instead of I think, therefore I am, it should be more we feel, therefore we are. Exactly. Exactly. With lots of little. God, that's so nice. God, I'm so quotable this morning. Yeah, (laughs) David's always coming up with quotable quotes, and that is that's a good T-shirt. Yeah, it is. Okay, I'm copywriting it now. We, are, we, we feel, therefore we are. We feel, we feel, we are. Yes, uh, I like that. So take a, but, but perhaps you'd like to take us through a, a mini experience just so that we can get a little bit of an, uh, just a little tasty-wasty. Let's get the, the listeners of the lounge embodied. Just a bit. We could do maybe another one later, but let's do a mini one now. 
We don't have a lot of time to, you know, a, a somatic epiphany doesn't usually happen in the first two minutes. <laughs> you, we can't do a somatic you, quickie. You, we, can't, we can't assume that, that. There might be a listener out there who's just on the verge, just on the very edge, on no, the cusp. It has of, happened. It has happened. I'm just, you know. But I mean, part of the work. For that one person out there. To, if we have expectations, we start to project into the future. But let's just do a little practice to bring our awareness into our bodies and play with that. A little okay. bit. Let's so, do that. You may take over. If you could intend mm. to feel for your breath. And feel for the subtle movements that your breath is creating through your body. So your chest, maybe your shoulders are arising just a little as you breathe in. And <sighs> on the exhale. Just feel for that. When I use the word feel for, it's not important to find it. It's about directing your awareness towards, in this case, the movement that your breath is creating. I'm feeling a lovely, soft, still sensitivity. <laughs> and I'm feeling micro tremors. Mm. You've done some embodied work, I'm guessing. <laughs> no, no, I am embodied. <laughs> okay. We, so let's are we are feeling. all, we are all feeling. Mm. That, so that was interesting. That was interesting because we, so far, because... There's, we've often done breath work on tantric lounge, but you put a slight emphasis on not just the breath, but on the flow-on effects of the breath in the body, like what other dominoes fall once you start hitting that first breath one. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's the whole body we're interested in, and the breath is, is a quick tool to, to shift awareness towards the full range of what we're experiencing through the body. So it's not just about feeling for the breath, it's about feeling for the breath in order to see what else is there. How did um, or you and Uma get involved in this? Maybe we hear from Uma first and then back to Deej. Uma, how, what, yeah. what's a nice girl like you doing in a business like this? <laughs> <laughs> I got into tantric practice in my mid-20s uh, mm. with a um, my partner just it was our own little thing that we did um, and um, we went to different tantric schools and read books uh, and Deej has been my best friend for 20 years now uh, and he started on his own journey his own not, I don't know if it was a tantric journey it was more of a conscious sexual journey mm-hmm. um, separately for me and we used to kind of exchange notes uh, <laughs> from time to time That'd be interesting. Uh, <laughs> so we've been changing, exchanging sexual notes for some time. Yeah, just 20 years. <laughs> started to get more conscious. <laughs> did, did this come out? Of, did this come out of a frustration or more an inspiration, or maybe a bit of both? Uh, this came out of well, we I was in a relationship for about five or six years at that stage, and things were beautiful and lovely, but they started getting a bit mundane. And I wanted something. I thought there's got to be more. And I've been to India. I've been traveling 
backwards and forwards to India for many years and I knew about tantric practice and I thought I'm good. It, it's time I feel ready to approach that um, and so we started studying and and you know when you I started looking at my sexuality of course lots of other things uh, opened up and I started looking at my emotions and my feelings. Ooh, radical thought. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't just about pleasure lots of stuff came through. Mm, yes. Um, and and that was a really uh, a really really wonderful journey, and and it's something I kind of kept on a slow burner for for a few years and did from time to time, and then I got pregnant and I had a baby, I had a beautiful baby girl, and I didn't want to have sex anymore. And I was amazed. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this woman? What have you done with Uma? <laughs> What, what, what has this child done? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he said to me, honey, you've got to do something about it. Yeah. <laughs> and the only thing I could think of to do was, okay, I thought, oh, I've, I've had, I had this tantric practice, this really embodied practice, and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll, go back, I'll get back to it. I'll do something with that. Um, and, and I started doing my solo practice. It wasn't really about connecting with my partner. It was about connecting with my own body. And this is where the epiphany came because, you know, a lot of uh, modern tantric um, practices are what we call dual practices. You know, it's about the, the partners connecting. And that's beautiful and incredible and amazing. But if we are disconnected from our own bodies, how mm. well can we connect with our partners? I was it's, the old, it's the old story about if you can only give of your cup if it is overflowing. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you have to fill your own cup. So how did you go about filling your own cup, Uma, if I may ask? I started doing my solo practice. Mm-hmm. I started um, doing self-pleasuring practices that I knew of from before. And then I started really looking at studying this a bit more um, in depth. And um, I did the Certificate in Sexological Bodywork that came to Australia. Jo- Joseph Kramer, who um, conceived this um, beautiful body of teaching, came and taught. And Deej has done the course a few years before me and said, oh, look, have got to go and do this. This is incredible. And the, that particular uh, course was a lot about solar practice. You know, we did a lot of stuff on our own bodies, experimenting mm-hmm. and exploring what's going on in our own body and how we can become embodied. And that's really what started me on this professional um, pathway. I guess. Did you I find Did you find anything particularly confronting during this initial phase of self coming to yourself again? Not, no pun intended. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, yes. No, really, the, word, the sentence was coming out of my mouth and then I thought, coming to yourself. Okay. <laughs> it's quite good, actually. Dealing with my emotions. Feeling yes, my emotions. dealing with your ocean of, your, of mm-hmm. being had, had, and, and your ocean of emotion. What, so <laughs> what, did anything particularly happen that was very confronting? I guess looking at the, the, the what we might judge as, um, you know, looking at my sadness, looking at my grief, looking at those things um, with compassion mm-hmm. ah. and accepting them as part of me. 
because I had a real judgment on, on these are good feelings. I should go into the pleasure and the orgasmicness and, and all mm-hmm. of that. And I know it's not good to be sad and it's not good to allow any kind of negative, what we might define as negative feeling. So, yeah, because um, that's also, bad. that's they're also bad. disembodied, yeah. isn't, isn't it? It, the feeling that some feelings are nicey, nicey, and some are naughty, naughty, or baddy, baddy, and that we should only have the nicey, nicey ones. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. And that was the real learning. And that was mm-hmm. incredible learning. There's a disconnect there, isn't there? Because unless you are willing to accept your sadness, which might actually be telling you something really important, or your grief, which might be telling you something really important, mm. you will ignore those signals and those voices, and that might lead you astray. Mm. Yeah. And you won't really be able to deeply connect with your pleasure if you don't connect with the other. Well, you can't if you're repressing or suppressing something. Because you're you're repressing the very ability to connect. Well, if you're fearful of some negative emotion because you've judged it as bad, Mm -hmm. then there'll always be part of you that's suppressing. Yeah. Yeah. What about what about for you, um, Deej? What what was what was your journey like? I just stumbled into it really. I mean, there've been glimmers of it in my younger life, and I've stumbled across a flyer for a workshop called Celebrating the the Body Erotic and thought, oh, that's interesting. And I went along to um, the workshop and on the on the second day of the workshop, we had, we received five rounds of a, a practice called Taoist Erotic Massage and at the end of the mm-hmm. fifth round, I had the somatic epiphany to end all somatic epiphany. <laughs> <laughs> And I just got off the table with absolute clarity that this is this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to teach. And that clarity mm-hmm. left since that moment. And then I just started get, just diving into everything that I could study. What and was that called, that practice? Daoist erotic Daoist massage. Daoist. We call it Daoist bodywork in Australia now. Right, the Daoist erotic massage. And what's, what's, what's that about? Just a little hint of what that's about. Well, the way that it was taught in the workshop was, um, you know, using breath, but using breath and touch to the whole body and, and playing with um, up-regulating, so taking the tempo up with breath and then down-regulating, slowing things down, so to play with excitement and savouring in order to expand on our experience and our, and our bodies. These days we've, we've switched it around a bit and uh, it focuses on active receiving, so the person on the table is actively engaging their body with movement and breath and their own touch and asking for what they mm. want from, from other people. So, you know, it takes a little bit a little bit of uh, learning to get to the point where we know what we want and can ask for it. But that, that, that's one of the core modalities is active receiving. How can we do that? Do you, do you think that another uh, issue is people needing to work out how to ask things of themselves? Oh hell yeah. yeah! Yeah yeah yeah. We need, a <laughs> we need no a no. Break. Hell yeah is often is opposite me. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> we don't know how to ask for things. Most people don't know how to ask for. Well, first of all, a lot of a lot of people don't know what it is that they want to start with, mm. and then to find the words so to to ask for it, and then to find the words to ask for it when we're aroused. Yes. Because we're in a different state of consciousness in arousal. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. speaking 
on behalf of the hellier off- opposite me, I notice that when she's in a particular <laughs> state of being, she go- she loses the capacity to talk. She has talked about this on the program before. Jacqueline? Well, my speech centers. Yes, just your, spe- your speech centers just, just switch off. So, how do you ask? Just out of curiosity, how do you ask for what you want when your sweet speech centers turn off? Oh, well, generally by that stage, I'm already getting what I want. <laughs> <laughs> my partners are pretty well trained in in what gets me to that state at which point it's but but I mean but even so at that point it's not necessarily about verbalizing like I'm I will be aware of moving myself in a particular way that will shift to particular sensations so there's another challenge there because you don't not necessarily have to ask for what you want using the voice that may not be there anymore yes you can ask for what you want <clears> with Approach with somatic approaches. Well, yes, but then I'm sort of at a very highly embodied state there. So I'm probably not the typical person that would end up on Dejanuma's table. Yeah, and I think that's part of it that we need to acknowledge that we need learning spaces, we need learning laboratories, we need places to come and learn and practice. So Mm. practicing verbally asking for what we want is a a stage in our learning. Yes point where Jacqueline is and and be flowing in all sorts of ways to be able to uh, get what we want and need. Yes, which is not to say that I don't ask verbally for what I want when my speech centres are in fact. (laughs) So so playing the role of thinking person's shock jock, I'm going to ask a provocative question now. How? Okay, it doesn't matter who answers first, I'll ask all three of you. How good are you in the stack? You know, you've done all of this work. I want to know. You get one minute answer each. Go on. Come on. How good are you? People sometimes say, well, but it depends who I'm connected with. (laughs) Some people just get confused. Like, what are you doing? What is this? (laughs) Do they get confused, but they feel good in their confusion? Not necessarily. I'm just thinking back to, I, I mean, I have rarely personally had um, a bad sexual partner. I think I'm fairly good at picking good ones. But I do remember That's very lucky of you. one time when I went through um, my research phase, which was after my marriage ended, and I had six months. Research phase. Yes, I had six months where I thought, okay, I'm single, I better make the most of this, you know, develop my professional experience and knowledge. And um, so, yes, yeah, so I had a lot of experiences. And I remember one time I actually had sex with a guy who was, so awful. But I thought, no, I'm going to go through with this because I want to see what women are complaining about all the time, right? And this guy, yeah, and he was a very successful lawyer, real sort of player, you know, clearly it had masses and masses of, you know, escorts and, you know, did the cocaine parties and all that sort of thing. I might as well have not been there. My job was simply to get him off. It was extraordinary. I've never experienced this before. It was just Bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. But I I kind of stuck with it because I was just kind of like, oh, now I get what women complain about. (laughs) They just have a lifetime of this rather than just a moment. But why would you stay with someone beyond, like, I mean, if I would normally not have even continued. I I had a lot of confusion when I was writing my first book, which Mm -hmm. was Women in Crime, which was about women who'd been traumatised. Yes. And who then got got into drugs because they were traumatised and then got into jail because they were traumatised because of the drugs, because Mm. of their trauma. And I asked them, 
and I asked one of them, why did you put up with the life that you put up with? And she said something that was so simple and so clear and complete. I had an epiphany when Mm. she said this. She said, because, and she was talking about the men Mm. who abused and who were disconnected. She said, because they don't know any better. Mm. Yeah. We'll let people think about that. While we go to a break. No, we still got a minute to oh, go. Oh, we got a bit. Okay, Uma, oh. quickly, how good are you in the sack? Yes. <laughs> I'm very picky in the sack. Good. So that, that's that, I pick the ones I know that would be really great with me. And so yes. I probably have less sex now with less people than mm. I did before, but it's, it's much, much better, yeah. So you're no longer with the partner that you had the child with? Uh, it's complicated. I need a white. Oh boy. wow! There's a story. There's a story. We've got thirty seconds to the Come break. Come on, no. <laughs> give us the give us the five second version. Oh no no no! We'll talk about it another time. Maybe it's really is complicated. <laughs> but I'll just say something just to take the embarrassment away from you, there, Uma. Is that I mean I'm personally primarily into monogamy because I just think you know when you cultivate a beautiful sex life with a partner, then um you know you can get so fully embodied and sharing and in touch we're all That's we're all interested more in quality than quantity here on the tantric lounge we are because yes. there is so much more to be gotten in terms of quality yes and in terms you can of, get a lot of, of quantity and a lot of quality yeah well yes you can but in terms of whether i'm good in the sack with the right person who i have a fantastic bond with and who we co-create beautiful experiences with absolutely it depends on what you're working with huh And welcome back, listeners, to the Tantric Lounge, where we're having a wonderful conversation with our guest sex geeks, Deej and Uma, who are sexological bodywork practitioners and teachers. And I thought I'd just share with everybody a little bit about why um, we've invited them onto the show, because uh, I've done some of um, Deej and Uma's workshops, and they're absolutely fabulous. And clearly, the quality of their knowledge and their understanding and their professionality and... and Professionalism. Professionalism. I'm editing you again. And yes. Shut up. <laughs> okay, yes. I'm shutting up. I'll have to slap you. Oh. <laughs> oh, I think I'm having an epiphany. <laughs> oh, another somatic epiphany. <laughs> back and now back to Jacqueline's soapbox. Yes, thank you. I was on my soapbox. I just had to step off it to give you a little slap there. Um, <clears throat> yes, so so the professional whatever the ending is. Professionalism. The professionalism an ethical basis of the work that they do really um, impressed me because one of the things that I think is so important when working with um, people who want to deal with their sexuality, improve it, heal and get over trauma, open up to possibility, is that the practitioners have to be um, very, very ethical, very in tune and to be able to do quality work. You think that there are a lot of practitioners out there and a lot Mm. of educators and coaches and therapists and clinicians who really don't know what they're doing, don't you? Absolutely. I mean, I just keep getting client after client who has been given wrong information, damaging information, or has been further traumatized in some cases. Give us an example. By practitioners. Give us an example of something that stands out. Oh, look, it varies from like, for instance, one guy who came to see me because uh, with his wife because she didn't want to have sex and he was really into the whole, um, you know, I'm a man, of course I've got a high sex drive. Their psychologist that they'd been seeing had told him that that's just the way it is. Women are like that, just put up with it. 
this was a psychologist. Right. Not particularly helpful. Not particularly helpful. Um, at the other end of the scale, I've had some clients who've been to see, you know, so-called tantric goddesses <clears throat> who have been traumatised by the experience because that particular practitioner wasn't able to kind of get in touch with where their client was at. Um, for instance, there was one guy who's a client of mine whose wife had announced that she didn't find him sexually attractive and never had, right? So she wanted to go off and have sex with her boyfriend while still saying married to this guy. Right? So she wanted her cake and eat it. She wanted her cake to eat it too. Fortunately, he came to see me and actually got in touch with his masculinity, started opening up and stuff. And as part of that, because I'm not a tax touch practitioner, I suggested that maybe he could go and see someone. But he went up to see someone without asking me whether I recommended this person. Anyway, he came back quite traumatised because he said that the session had been really quite wonderful initially. There'd been some lovely touch and hugging and all of that. Felt really beautiful. And then she finished the session off by wanking him off. Oh. Oh, yes. Now, a couple of problems there because he felt that that was a betrayal of his monogamous relationship with his wife. He was mm -hmm. not ready to Go enter there. into in it. Yeah. And also he said it was sleazy. Like he'd gone from this really beautiful heart-opening experience and then suddenly it was just kind of like sleazy. It was horrible. It didn't work for him. No. The agreement, it sounds like that, that he didn't agree, agree to, to that. that. Well... At what point should the, ta the, 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 the woman he was with should have picked up on that and said, do you ag agree to this in one way or another? She should have gotten his consent. Well, hopefully I would have thought that she would have had talked to him enough to realise that his ethical basis was that he still felt that he was, you know, monogamous to his wife and that that would not involve I guess you, sexual contact with another woman. I guess, Dee Januma, you both see in your um, clinical <laughs> practice a lot of uh, trauma. We do, we do, uh, in, in different levels, you know. Mm, yeah. I, I believe most of us are traumatised in some way or another. Yes. growing up in this society. I'm not talking about uh, horrific trauma, but we all have a little, a little trauma in our body. Uh, I'm not a trauma expert, and so when someone comes with serious trauma um, to me, I will work with them only if they are seeing an, a therapist that is... Mm. That, that specializes in trauma and then we will we will work together not all of us in the same room but uh, they will go and see their therapist and then we'll they will come to me for body work and we will c communicate the three of us together to see how we can all submit that how both me myself and the therapist would support that client where and do you but where do you both think that the majority of, well, not majority, let's just say there's obviously a group of practitioners out there that aren't particularly well trained. What do you think is the major failing in their training or in their awareness? What do they most need to learn? One thing is to have really clear professional parameters so with sexological body workers, we've got a, a code of ethics and a code of practice, which, which outlines the broad parameters of what might be involved in a session. And then session by session to really work out with the client what they want from the session, clarify what that learning objective is and what the agreements are. Like, we, you know, with... Mm. So setting boundaries and contracts, that's what you're talking setting about. Setting boundaries yes. and contracts and then... Um, for the session, really, I think what works with sexological body work is that 
It's about learning and awareness. So when, when, when touch happens, it's touch for the purposes of learning and awareness. Mm. There are other modalities, and I'm not saying these modalities can't work, but there are modalities where touch happens for the purpose of attraction, um, I mean, in between practitioner and client, for the purpose of attraction, to explore attraction, to, uh, to ex- explore healing. And I just think it, it's, that needs to, the practitioner and the client need to be really clear that there's still a practitioner and a client there. So yes. I think it can get a bit murky when, when attraction is intentionally being worked with in the room. Mm-hmm. Attraction often arrives, arises in a, in a room. Any, any, um, you know, any working relationship is, it's, is potentially attractive. Oh, of course, even in talk therapy. The, 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 the yeah. classic transference and counter-transference scenario. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but as practitioners, we need to intend to notice that and, and, and notice what that feels like in the body so that we can connect with our clear intention not to act on it. Mm. So, so in your sexological yeah. body work, that, my understanding is, is that's all you know, a pretty key part of the training for the practitioners. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Structure sessions, effective skills that, that work to help people get more into their bodies and expand on what they can feel through their bodies. But the piece is about clear, clear learning objectives, clear agreements, clear protocols. Uh, and you think that we, we get in, we think you get into real trouble when that clarity disappears? You potentially yeah. do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think there's potential trauma when that clarity disappears because, uh, I mean, one reason there's a need for quality sex education is that most people just learned sex randomly yes but we didn't have it we didn't have quality sex education and so well, we get a bit of reproduction education <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so some of the things that we did as we as we explored and experimented were great and they really served us and we did those again and they got laid down on our nervous systems but a lot of the stuff that we we randomly experimented with um really didn't serve us and mm-hmm. got laid down in our nervous system so we're we ca- there's a lot of murkiness around sex and sexuality also because until recently there haven't been forums like this where we can Mm. uh, have adult educated conversations about sex and our bodies and and sex. Yes, I sometimes find it interesting. I don't know what you think about this. Like I actually consider myself a a sex educator. But, you know, normally when people think about sex education, they think it's, you know, like 13-year-olds getting puberty education in, you know, in high school and stuff like that. This is where your clitoris is. No, no, you don't get that. We don't talk about clitorises at high school. Oh, I see. So I'm, I'm even way out there just on that assumption. Yeah. Well, I went to an all-boys school, so, well, we'd learned where the clitoris was. Did you? Yeah. I asked. Ah, that's probably so, what I, they- I, I knew, I knew, but I asked anyway just yeah. to be provocative. I was that sort of kid. Did they teach you that the clitoris is actually quite an extensive structure, much more than the, the part of the clitoris that protrudes a no, little? No, like- no, no. I had to find that out for myself. I mean, I found, I mean I'm, I'm mostly an autodidact. I've spent most of my life educating myself because I don't trust most people to educate me, um, which brings <laughs> me to another. That's what we're trying to change by, by yeah. training professionals. You know, the certificate yes. in sexological bodywork training is in its fifth year and it's got a lot of momentum. There's a lot of um, 
a lot of really great feedback about the program because of the amount of time and attention we put into what we've been discussing about clarity, learning objectives, agreements, session structure, useful skills, tools that work yeah. and how to teach. For those, uh, for those listening out there in radio land who might be workers or therapists or coaches or whatever they are, who are interested in doing your course, what do they need to do? Where do they need to go? If they go, go, go to the website, which is um, www.issaustralia.com. It's ISS for Institute of Somatic Sexology, issaustralia.com. Yeah, send us an email through the website. We will send you the course description. Um, and for those uh, in, spa- in, 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 in radio space who are listening to us who do not want to be practitioners but are interested in exploring uh, what it is that we do or um, um, we are running an amazing retreat um, uh, in a couple of months' time, six wonderful days up on the Sunshine Coast. We're uh, talking called- October 2014. No, yeah, November 2014. Yes, unfortunately, a weekend that I'm running a women's retreat, so I can't. Because ah. so so it sounds fabulous. I'd love to do it. Well, great moments you've missed, Jacqueline. There'll be another opportunity. There'll be another opportunity. Um, we're almost out of oh, time. Oh, no, they were going to tell us Again? how we can find out about that wonderful Yes, retreat. yes, yes, but oh. yes, and then I have one more question. Oh, do you? Okay. Yes, yes. So, quickly. It's growing, growing in embodiment, and the details are also on the website, issaustralia.com. Yeah, come and explore. It's going to be incredible and amazing. Uh, it's open to couples. It's open to individuals. It's a small retreat. And um, all of our work is also for people of all genders and all sexualities. So we, we really work hard at creating a, a really we inclusive have, We space. have two minutes and I have to ask this question. Yes. What's in it for me? I mean, I'm not talking just for myself. I'm just talking for anybody listening out there. What sort of a person would I be? If you, if you think of what the work that you do is like this this, this machine and you put in one person in at one end and they come, you spit them out at the other end. I come in disembodied and not in connection with myself. How do I come out of this, this machine that you create? You can access more pleasure and you feel much more connected. And, and through connecting with your own body and becoming more embodied, you, become, you, you develop better intimacy skills and you can connect with others in a much fuller, uh, deeper way. And you've got much more choice about how you are in your body and with your interactions. So you get better in the sack. <laughs> yeah, you get better in the yeah. sack. You can access yeah. more pleasure. You've got more choice. You've got greater intimacy skills. You're better in the sack. And, and you get better in life, I'd say. But better thing. in life, yeah. And you can lead your partner to that betterness as well. Mm. Yeah. Better, more, more betterness. See, I can correct myself too. That's fabulous grammar there. <laughs> okay. All right, we need to wind up. So I'd like to thank you, um, DJ Numa, for being on the show. Those websites, by the way, listeners, are all um, on my page, on my Tantric Lounge Radio Show page. So if you go into the, the guest section, it'll pop up with, with, their, um, with their contacts. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for inviting us. It's been so much fun talking to you both this morning. Yeah, you you two as well. We're boys and girls on either. And end. next week, 
Yes, so thank you very much. Um, and then listeners, so next week we're going to be talking to um, an expert on menopause, Heather Cameron, who has a menopause research centre and she's... Resource. Resource centre, sorry, online. And she's also a sex geek and is um, really interested in talking about um, having fabulous sex post-menopause and also dealing with any challenges that come up during the, the change. The sexual issues of the mature woman. Oh, Yes. Yeah, so we're going to look forward to talking to Heather. So join us again next week down on, on, on the, the Tantric, Tantric Lounge. Lounge.